Some of you have a scattered range of idols, things that you pursue, and then you pursue something else, but every one of those defines your actions. You go after this one, then this one, and this one. You know, I, I've heard people are like that, can be scattered. Others of you obsess so strongly on one thing. You can actually buy Kierkegaard's statement. But you are willing the wrong thing. And when I say wrong, I don't really mean morally wrong. I don't mean you're a horrible human being. I mean we set our heart's affections on things that take us away from what will actually bring us life. And sort of my thesis today is the question is not, do you have idols? Do you know what they are? It's a passage in Proverbs verse 20, which says this, the purposes of a man's heart are, are deep. Deep down somewhere below there is the real reason why we act. Not the Sunday school reason why we act. Not the socially acceptable reason why we act. But somewhere deep down in our heart is the reason why we act. I was once asked in the midst of doing something, somebody said to me, do you, have, do you think you have mixed motives in this? And I said, of course I have mixed motives in this. I just don't know what they are. The, the idea that, see, that, that's what I love about Kierkegaard's statement, purity of heart is to will one thing. And then there's the reality that I don't will one thing. The purposes of a man or a person's heart are deep. Getting down and really understanding what it is that we're pursuing with our life. Really. Not what we're supposed to. What actually is driving our actions. That's difficult. There's a, a guy who's a sort of a major ministry leader in America who was challenged by this statement over, over the years because he's a very, very successful. And he was challenged by this statement over the years. So friends coming to him and saying, ministry, the success of your ministry is your idol. And he is, is bright and articulate and sensitive. And he, he gave phenomenal reasons why that was, in fact, not the case. And as he laid that out, friend after friend would go, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And then another friend would bring it to him and he'd say, no, 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 here you see the reason why it's not. <laughs> Appreciate your concern. The reason why it's not an idol, it doesn't really drive me, is this and this and this. And he said, I did that over and over, year after year after year after year, until the one day I discovered, oh, wait, it is. It is my idol. The question is not, do you have idols? Do you know what they are? The thing I long for, for each one of us to go out this week, is to do the harder work, and we'll walk through some of that, what that looks like, but to do the harder work of discovering what are the things that I'm really setting as the heart of my affection in my life, and how are they driving my actions away from life? You see, there's this passage in Proverbs 4, and it is among my favorite passages in the Bible. That says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It says above anything else. Look, let's distill this here. Let's distill this whole wisdom thing. Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Look deeply into that difficult-to-penetrate place of my heart and what I pursue and what I really love and make sure I love the right things. Because out of that will come my life. What I do, how I act, how I think, 
what I sacrifice and what I treasure. I'm going to talk to you now about two contrast. I can't believe I said that. That was like such a poor transition. I'm sorry. I'm critiquing my own message. Now I'm going to talk to you about two things. The problem when you teach public speaking is you start critiquing yourself. Anyway, when you think about this concept of idolatry and, and, and guarding our heart, there's two contrasting dangers. There's, there's two different ways you can look at this, really. And, and one of the contrasting dangers, quite honestly, only makes sense to you if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, this one is a real trap for you. And if you're not, you're like, oh, interesting. It sort of goes like this. And, and, and this was, I was talking with a friend this week and gave me this sort of concept of a pie chart. I see my life, my heart, as a pie chart. And that pie chart is divided up among a bunch of stuff. And then I start to think, well, my heart has got all sorts of stuff in it, and so maybe I ought to refine it a little bit. Family, hey, that's important. I'll give 10% of my heart to family. But then I start thinking about other things that I ought to throw in there in my heart. And, you know, I've got a whole range. I've got my kids. I, you know, they should get I'll give them 10%. My career is 17 because really that serves my kids too. And so I'm, I'm giving them more at the same time. And I got some hobbies. I got football. Fantasy football is small, really. It's only like 1%, except for three months of the year. And then it blossoms to 85. But that's a whole other thing. But for sake of argument, we'll say, oh, wait, I'm a Christian. That's, I'm a follower of Jesus. He should be first. So you know what? I'm giving God 51%. That's not bad. That's like... Three times my career, 51%. That's what I'll do. My heart's a pie chart, and I give more of my heart to God than anything. Wait, than everything else. 51% is zero. Because your heart's not a pie chart. All that is is a series of idols. And the truth is, when we do this and we say, oh, God gets 51%, how do we figure that? Does that actually show up? Or is it not driven out of this idea of, you know, I'm, I'm loving these things and make, let me make sure. Let me make sure I don't love any of these things too much. Here is the bastion of Christian spirituality. Let me take the things that I love and make my heart beat faster and let me not love them too much. Let me make sure my wife knows that I don't love her too much. That my kids know I don't love them too much. Gee, honey, you're important to me, but God is like five times as important. Because then, I'm a good Christian. And idols have no place in my life. This will kill you. You will end up incredibly resentful. Because you will believe that what Christianity tells you to is to minimize all the things you actually love. Because that's what good Christians do. Contrasting danger. On the other side is those who, I'm not particularly worried about the things that I, I love. I'm, you know, this whole idolatry thing is kind of a crock. I'm just going to Live for whatever. Just enjoy it. Just follow those paths down wherever they take me. When anything but God is the defining center of your life, you will be used. And you'll be defrauded. Because you will have set 
as the centerpiece of your life things that will be incredibly fickle and will never quite bring satisfaction. Let me explain. If success is your idol, now you would never say it, none of us ever say it. If success is our idol, no, no, I just, I just want to be successful. But if success is our idol, you know how you know what it is? There's those actions, those incongruous actions. You wonder to yourself, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I betray my friend? I didn't really betray him. It's just, you know, it was just business. I just needed to do that. Why did my conviction suddenly die in that moment? Why do I seem to be sacrificing my family because some part of me, just as a decent American, knows that my family should matter? Why do my consistently, my actions and my choices seem to, hmm, curiously seem to reflect differently than what I say matters most? The incongruous actions and thoughts of your life betray your idols. When how other people view you causes you to dismiss things you say you hold most dear, then you see your idol. When success causes you to sacrifice your family, there you see your idol. Idols come in all shapes and fashions, but every one of them will minimize your heart because it will drive you like an addiction to simply gain whatever you believe it can give you. Your actions, your thoughts, the course of your life become subject to the whim and the will of some vague idol. There's a passage in Proverbs 25, which is today's reading, and essentially it says this. Okay, don't exalt yourself in a king's presence. If you get invited to a dinner party with the king, don't go... Hey, the head table must be for me. I think, of course, I should walk up there. Because if I walk to one of these back tables, people are not going to think highly of me. And the writer probably says, don't, don't, don't be very careful. Don't exalt yourself in the king's presence so that you end up being humiliated as he comes up and says, what are you doing here? You belong back there in the cheap seats. Why would somebody presume that they're more important than they are? I, I know you would never do that. I would never do that. I would never act as if I'm something more than I am. Why would I? What would, how could that possibly gain me anything? Oh, that's right. My appearance before other people matters so much that quite honestly, I'm willing to be presumptuous. I'm willing to lie. I'm willing to cheat. Things that I don't believe are correct. If it feeds my idol, which is you think highly of me, why is it that we have these crazy moments when we're willing to tell somebody thing we absolutely know is not true? And then we say it, and it gets out of our mouth, and we go, what am I doing? Now I have to somehow defend this. Why is it that 30 years after I finished playing soccer, I still, I still want to tell you something that isn't true. I still want to say, I would fantasize about telling you that I was an All-American in soccer. And you know what? I wasn't. Not really under consideration. Got to be honest with you. Why is it that, that, that in these weird moments, I'm thinking, oh, if I could say I'm an All-American in soccer, I, that, that isn't who I am. What in the world would make me do that? 
I don't think lying is a great idea. I don't think deceiving other people is a wonderful idea. Why would I do that? Ah, there's my God raising its head. I care deeply what other people think about me. By the way, this is not my biggest idol. Even close. I'm not going to tell you what mine are. Because it's not the point. I want you to see yours. The incongruous actions of our life betray our idols. And in those incongruous actions, we look back and we go, what have I done? What have I done to my friends? What have I done to the ones I love? Why have I sacrificed the things that I really do hold most dear? Because your idols went out, which they always do. Line from that song, which I thought the band did beautifully, by the way. I tremble because they're going to eat me alive. Can you feel my heart beat like a hammer? When your heart beats like a hammer, your idols are raising their voice and you're starting to follow them. Whether it's success, martyrdom, popularity, money, fame, your girlfriend, your marriage, whatever it is, when your heart starts beating like a hammer, it's because you are now willing to do anything to make your idol happen. See, the honest truth is we define ourselves. We define our lives by idols. We allow them to make us who we are and who we're not. And so, the moments we realize that, the good Christian takes the path of, I will just sacrifice that which I love dear. Because that's the good Christian way. And you walk away bitter and resentful. There's another way. This week, for reasons I will not go into, I happen to be listening to Christian radio. You want to ask me later, I'll tell you why I occasionally listen to Christian radio, but it's not pretty. But I was listening to Christian radio on one of my presets and got what I did not expect, which was a message that was extremely powerful. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the story. Do you know what um, VeggieTales is? VeggieTales was started by a guy named um, Phil Vischer along with Mike Naraki in Chicago. And as he says, it was started with sort of a crazy concept, which was difficult to figure out how to market. How do you get backers to support the idea that hey, what we're going to have is talking animated vegetables who are teaching Bible stories. Nonetheless, this was his big idea, which is the name of the company. And the big idea really was big, and it was magical. I mean, it cut a swath through the entertainment industry. And kids and adults everywhere were watching and quoting VeggieTales. I can still quote any number of their songs, including Where Is My Hairbrush? <laughs> One of my elders in a, a church in California said, Everything I learned, I learned about theology through VeggieTales. VeggieTales was huge. It was big. And so what Phil Vischer says is, then I said, look at this. This dream that God has given me to make an impact is, it could be even bigger. I can make more of an in-cap, uh, impact. So he pushed and he pushed. And they said, major, let's not just do direct-to-DVD. Direct let's do major motion pictures. Let, let's really take it out into the marketplace. And so, thus was born Jonah the movie. And Jonah the movie was, was good. But a whole series of things started to go wrong in Big Idea culminating with a lawsuit about distribution rights 
which Phil Vischer would say, the odd thing is, is I went to the courtroom, I knew I was in the right, I knew we hadn't done anything wrong, and yet it was a scary lawsuit. And I knew God could defend me, and he didn't. And we lost. And every single item, every video, every lyric, everything we'd ever done was sold off in order to pay some of the debt back for the lawsuit. And the dream was dead. The big idea company was over, and he was out. And he said, I wondered, how did this happen? I had a dream. The dream seemed to be given to me by God. It was, a, it, it was wildly successful, and then it died, and it died for no apparent reason. And then he said, one day, one day somebody walked up to me and goes, I don't know how to say this to you, but I think it's about you and not about big idea. And he didn't like that, and so he sort of pushed it away. He said after the company died, he spent about three or four months. He'd rent a little office, and he'd go there every day, and he'd, he'd pray, and he'd read his Bible with no agenda, because he didn't really have an agenda, didn't really know what to do. And he began to get stories. He, he got his first new story, and he said, this is a brilliant story. I've got to write this down, so he wrote it down. But he had no idea where to go with it, because he no longer has a company or anywhere to, anyone to listen to him. And then he got another one, and another one, and another one. And then it dawned on him one day, he was praying, and he said, God, you made me to be a storyteller. Now tell me which stories to tell. There is something about that simple statement that is extremely powerful about how we live our lives in the midst of idolatry. What Phil Vischer would say is, I held too tightly. The dream that God had given me to serve him simply became my dream. And it went from, these are the stories I'm going to tell, and there'll be an impact to success is now driving my life. And so all of his actions, all of his thoughts, all of his ambitions began to be generated around, am I being successful? Is the company working? And the fine line was crossed. And it had become his idol. The defining center of his life, which then drove his actions. And all other things get sacrificed to the defining center. The easy solution, the normal Christian solution, the soapbox solution is to tell him, aha, Phil, kill the dream. You're not a storyteller. This thing that you love is wrong. See, you made it your idol, so kill it. And he had the moment of clarity where he realized, God, you made me to be a storyteller. Now show me which stories to tell. The antidote to idolatry is not killing off what you love. It's learning to see all of your life through your relationship with God and learning to live out the things you love with this question. God, you made me to, you fill in the blank. Show me how to live this under you. Show me how to have you the defining center of all the things that I pursue. Show me not how to put my family at 12% of my heart, but show me how to love my family fully underneath my relationship with you. God, you've made it so that I do have ambitions. I I have this idea and it seems to be working. Would, Would you help me not to dispense with the idea, but to love you through that? In short, God, don't call me to kill off who you made me to be, but to see who you made me to be as from you. And so live out of that.
In the ancient Near East, at the time of the Old Testament, there were lots of temples. And those temples were the places of worship for different religions. And the temple in Israel was very similar to the other temples, except in the very center, in a a temple of a different religion, there would be a series of idols, a whole series of them, a hodgepodge of them. And all those idols had to be satisfied. And not the stone themselves, but what they represented. But when you walked into the temple in Israel, the centerpiece was simply the presence of God. And all other things lived underneath that. See, the antidote to idolatry is asking God, God, would you be the defining center of my life? Show me how to live with the things that you give me that matter. Whether it's my family or my hobby or my art or my job with the things you've given me. Show me how to keep them in a place where they are neither the thing that defines me nor the thing that I feel like I have to kill off. Because this is the gospel message. The gospel message, the message of Jesus, is that you are defined by your relationship with him. Not by your acceptance, by others, not by your success in the marketplace, not by how others think about what you tell them that you did at some time in the past. God is the defining center of your identity. I find my life in him. And so the idols simply are pushed to the side. Not because I have to, because I have a place where I get defined. I actually know who I am in my relationship with God. And then, purity of heart is to will one thing. And I spend my life trying to identify the places where that's not so. I'm anxious to see where my actions are no longer, where my actions are betraying who I am and who I'm called to be. Because I realize that idolatry is always a moment away. It's not some vague thing about a stone piece of work. So what am I living for? At this point in the message, I intend for you to have a bit of mm, angst because this is what I, I really hope for. I hope for, for myself and for each of you that we'll spend some time this week looking for the markers, looking for the places where we are defining our identity through things that are not who we are made to be. When our success, hobbies, relationships define us. Look for the markers. Look for those incongruous actions. Look for the stress and the angst. Look for the things that you so badly fear losing that it keeps you up at night. These are the places where you say to God, God, I'm defining myself there. Help me define myself in you and create the space for that. And at the end of one of those passages where it says the purposes of man's heart are deep, and then it says, but a man of understanding can draw them out. And I 
friend who was told time after time that something was his idol and he denied it. Fortunately, he had people who told him time after time it was his idol. They were people of understanding who spoke to that. If you look at your life now and you're not sure what is the things that are defining you in ways that will do violence to your soul, get with people you trust and ask them what they see. Because the question is not, do you have idols? The question is, do you know what they are? Each one of them will pull you away from the life you were meant to have in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would spare us from the temptation and the danger to kill off things that you made us to do with the vague spiritual notion that this will make us better Christians. I pray also for those who, of us whose life is being pulled in directions, actions taken, principles sacrificed, and we're not yet sure why. Would you show us the things that have become the defining center of our life? Things which have assumed a place that, quite honestly, they can't sustain and bring joy to our souls. You have said the fear of you, the awe of you, the living in the presence of you is life. And there is contentment. At our very best, the deepest part of us, we want life. Give us the courage this week to push back the things that define us in a way that keeps us from that. We pray this with hope because of Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Take some time as we go through this worship set to explore where you are, the thoughts that hit, the questions you have, the things perhaps you need to bring to God. And recognize that what is always true of our faith is it's not us trying to clean ourselves up to get back with God, but that always he is initiating and leaning into our lives, calling us to open up. That's why we do the offering at the beginning of our time of worship. as a way to remind ourselves that God is moving into our lives and we are opening up in response to that. As we do that, we believe that will bring more joy to our heart. We believe also as we bring our resources together, it will bring more joy, peace, contentment, and beauty to a city that needs it. Can you sit down for just a moment, please? A couple things I want to talk to you about. First of all, there is an HIV AIDS pandemic going on in the world that strips people's, not just their health, but their dignity. It's been more of a source of stigma than perhaps any um, health matter has ever been, probably akin to, to leprosy in ancient times. And about f- four or five years ago, we became convinced that our to live out the gospel in the midst of this, the world as it is today, we needed to weigh in there. And so for several years, we've been exploring, God, what do you want us to do in that? How do we, we don't want to do activity. We don't want to have mission stuff. We, we want to know, what do you call us to do in a way that tackles this issue such that we are part of the process of ending the HIV AIDS pandemic, believing it strikes at the heart of humanity made in the image of God. And it's a necessary component, component to, to help people to find life again, life that they're intended. 
And recently we've become convinced that we're supposed to engage in one town in Zimbabwe, Harare, and, and to engage there in a very specific way by helping some people, including a group of kids orphaned by uh, AIDS, both their parents, to create a business. Because with income-generating activities, money's generated. When money's generated, people can eat. When people can eat, they can both afford to buy and have the food in their stomach to take ARVs, the drugs they need to stem the progression of HIV, and the HIV-AIDS pandemic begins to slow. And there's the potential of life emerging in the midst of chaos. And so that's where we're leaning in hard. And, and we've talked about it some. Our art gallery focuses on uh, where we want to engage. And we have set a goal of raising $36,000. Now, I want you to understand this. We did not set a goal of raising $36,000. We thought, hey, let's raise $36,000. That seems like a good amount of money to raise. There's spe- specific things we said. We feel like, God, you're calling us to do this. And that, and this costs us $36,000 to invest right now in very specific ways as a part of the ongoing process of us engaging the HIV-AIDS pandemic. And so we will be seeking to uh, raise that money through very simple methods. I'm, I'm going to talk to you about it occasionally. And over the next month, on November 15th, we're going to stop. Because part of this process is we believe this. We don't want to drive this in our community. We want our community to drive this. And so essentially we, we view it this way. If you agree that this is how God calls us to weigh in, in, in this city, through income-generating activities with two different groups of people, four orphans starting a restaurant, a group of people who've been doing volunteer peanut butter making to allow them to expand it to business which can go throughout the city, then we're asking you to essentially demonstrate that, yes, we're with you. We we think this is the way to go by giving toward that. Whatever amount that you feel like God leads you to. And if, quite honestly, if $19,000 is raised, that's what we'll utilize. We won't manufacture some other way to produce it. If 19000 that's what we'll utilize. And so essentially we're saying ask questions and explore this. And if you're in there with us, then, then ask God, God, what do you want me to give toward this? What, what, what can I do that, that makes sense right now? What, what, where do you want me to invest? And we, one group, very creative. You know, a small group recently ran a, yesterday a, a, a sale for baby stuff. Now, you understand that at Warehouse, we don't do lots of things like that. Like, we don't do rummage sales, partly because we don't really know what rummage is. But we don't do car washes and bake sales. And a lot of times you just spend a lot of time, and it doesn't raise a whole lot of money and it's just just an activity but this was a small group that said you know what we have we know what we have here at warehouse we have babies <laughs> and lots of them and so we have baby stuff you know cribs and clothes and and some of us have two and three year old and four year old babies and others of us are just having them hey what if we take all this baby stuff some of which we'll never use again and we donate it and let people who need that who have younger ones who are going to need to buy it, buy it at, at, a, at a sale where they're going to get it cheaper than they get it anywhere else. And we give all the money to uh, Zimbabwe. That's a great idea. And so a ton of people came yesterday to do that. And again, we don't do this kind of thing very often. It normally doesn't make sense. This one really made sense with what we were doing. And a small group really invested their time and their energy. And they, they advertised and people were driving in off the street to come in and see it. Why? Because they believe we can halt 
HIV AIDS pandemic in the world. And we're going to make a stake in one place right now. If you want to be a part of that, you can write a, a check for that, whatever you, you feel God leads you to. We're going to do that until November the 15th. And then we'll see what we have. And that's how we will invest right now. Second thing I want to talk to you about today is basics engage. We don't do many classes. We do about as many classes as we do sales. We do four classes a year. We call them the basics. The one we're in right now is called Basics Engage. It's on Wednesday nights, so we're two weeks into it. And on this Wednesday night, we're talking about how do we, in, how do we engage the mission in our city. And, and this Thursday night, we're talking very specifically, how do you engage as a leader? And what Mark will be looking at is, is, are essentially two things. Why do we think leadership is so important in making an impact? Why do we not just want foot soldiers? Why is leadership so critical? But secondly, for you specifically, what's the pathway to leadership within Warehouse. If this is your community, what's the pathway to leadership? Last thing I want to talk to you about before we go is, I want to let you know that we're coming up with a new series in, toward a new series in two weeks. And I want to sort of give you the, the arc of where we've, we've been going over this fall. We started with a series called More, exploring how do we, why should we look for more in terms of our life, specifically for a relationship with God, and, and how do we go about doing that? And we spent five weeks really exploring the whys and the hows of having more out of our life. And then we transitioned into this series and said, Here, here's one way now to explore more very specifically. Let's just look at just one book of the Bible, just one book, and watch how in some of the five of the really important issues of our day and of our own life, we can find more just through this one book. Look how much rich and depthness you can get just through this one place. The next series we're moving into is called 5Q. And what that will do is it will explore five questions that are out there in the culture. And I'll tell you in a moment just where we've gotten them from. And and explain this. So how in the fundamental questions that people are asking, that everyone is asking, how do we get more for our life in those areas? Where do we find the answers and the resources for that? In 5Q or five questions, we pulled off the site called Soul Pancake, which is a site that Rain Wilson um, started and basically it throws out a question. Some of them are silly, some of them are profound. Today's question, by the way, is what owns you? Which you, we could use that in our talk today. A basic question: What owns you? What's what's driving your life? The first week of the series, the question we'll ask is: What what makes your stomach sick to think about losing? We'll walk through five questions that thrown out on the Soul Pancake website, explore through a variety of different ways what the ideas are, the thoughts are, and how we navigate through those questions. I encourage you to think about who you can bring as that series comes up in two weeks. If uh, you'd like someone to pray with you, whether you're a a leader at Warehouse or whether you're here for the first time, we would be very, very uh, uh, happy to do that with you. And you can just go through that door first or on the right, and some people will sit down with you, and they'll pray with you. Whether it's just an, a question that's sort of lingering in your head or something very specific you want some people to join with you and pray about, we would be happy to do that. If you'd like to give us a prayer request, you can fill out an orange card on that kiosk, that kiosk. They're also on the coffee room tables. And then just drop them in the yellow boxes. That yellow box or the one on the wall going out the coffee room door. Now, would you please stand and receive the benediction? Fear the Lord leads to life. May you walk out today knowing that religion is not your answer. Being more dutiful, it's not your answer. Giving 32% more to God is not your answer. May you walk out today knowing that God longs for you to be in a relationship with him. Whole heart to walk alongside you in your pursuits and your desires, to 
press out those things which are keeping you from life and to build up those things which bring joy to your soul. May you know in the midst of trouble, you may have the presence of a very real God. And may you know today that all this is possible because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that as you embrace that, you have today and always will have the love of God your Father and the grace of Jesus that covers over all of your sin and the presence of the Spirit. Now go in peace.